Pick up your paintbrush, it's time for Hobby Support Group. Evening, Andy. Hey, Tom, good evening. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. And yourself today? I'm, uh, yeah, I'm okay. I am very tired. It seems like I've got a little bit of the old long COVID, but uh, hopefully it won't take too many weeks for me to be out of this this funk and feeling a lot better. Hopefully you didn't pick anything up for our excursion to the zone yesterday while we were... Only a crackling green crystal that was in five dimensions. Was that wrong? So this evening we're doing a rare evening recording as we're both quite busy at the moment. Andy, so do you have a, a suitable beverage? I have... Uh, a bottle of jam shed wine. It's a lovely Malbec, um, which I will be probably only having a, a, a single glass of because we'll have work tomorrow. Trying to get two wilds on a Thursday. That sounds quite refined. I am drinking Tesco's quadruple strength mixed berry squash. <laughs> Not a quadruple <laughs> strength wine. <laughs> Alas, no. no. That wine concentrate. Good old wine concentrate. So today we have got a couple of game reviews because shock horror for a supposed hobby podcast. We've actually played some games. Mm-hmm. I, I made it out of the house, Tom. Actually made it out of the house. We're going to chat about one game in depth and then have a brief chat about a second game. So the first game we're going to discuss this evening is Zone Alpha. Oh, I thought the deep dive was on Emu Wars. Oh, we actually got three games. I completely forgot. That's the, the big hit that was Emu Wars. So three games. We will we'll save that to the end because there was a there was a lot of Emu Wars played last night, not just by me. Um, so that was wonderful. Uh, Dave and Christina were down, and, and Ben and Neil and myself were having. There was a lot of Emu action going on. Big game. Big game. Uh, but the big game of the night was was for you and me playing Zona Alpha. What is Zona Alpha, Tom? It's a small scale but well, it's a 28 mil scale skirmish game played with between four and about a dozen figures mm-hmm. on a four by four mat it's a blue osprey book which is set in at the universe which will be very familiar to anybody who's played the stalker video games the metro exodus or red roadside picnic mm-hmm. the basic premise is Eastern Europe, sort of modern day-ish. Accident happens. There are weird artifacts and things floating about. So zombies, mutants. Alien time travellers. Who knows? Whatever. What is a... It's quite agnostic in that a mutant is what you want it to be. It can Mm. be... A mutated you know, nuclear technician or a grey or a Nord or insert alien hybrid choice oh, of crystal. your own. <laughs> you name it. So it's there are no sort of specific figure ranges for it. Again, it's one of those things you use pretty much things from your collection or what you want. Mm-hmm. There are Quite a number of manufacturers make that sort of late 80s, World War Three sort of Twilight 2000-ish style figure. Mm. And especially with the 
popularity of Stalker and the Metro games, everyone's sort of familiar with what it is, I think. So I suppose a good way to describe it is almost like the aesthetic is kind of Mad Max, but in Eastern Europe. It depends Europe. what faction you're going to. If you're doing like uh, military, you know, then it's very easy to get hold of some some modern figures, just modern day soldiers from whatever theatre you want and use those to represent troops. Um, or, if, you know, scientist models, there's a few companies that do produce people in hazmat suits of scanners and that kind of thing. And and bandits, I guess, which I played as last night, probably the easiest of all. You just can use any kind of model of any kind of weapon you want. Yep, the the weapon, it is technically supposed to be WYSIWYG. Mm-hmm. And yet there are, you know, the standard weapon choices are sort of for standard long arms are a battle rifle or an assault rifle. Mm-hmm. There's like someone with an AK-74 or like a M15. You know, it's you don't have to go well. You know, this is a 7.26 NATO round, and this is a 303. You know, it's a rifle or a submachine gun. Yeah, or an assault rifle. Uh, everyone has a variety of different grenades. It's not like well, that model's only got one grenade modelled on it, so you can't have the two grenades. It comes yeah. with. It's it's not that quite finicky. I use the models I used were some of the Empress nineteen eighties Soviet uh, nuclear biological chemical suit guys. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyone's not familiar with those, they, the guys who are in the big gas masks with the like rubber suits on, which look super- unbelievably cool. I think <laughs> they do look cool and quite scary. Um, they were they they were one of those things where I'd bought those models when I saw them because I just needed them in my collection and then found a game to play them. Yeah, it does happen to us all <laughs> at times. Ah, look at that model. I need that model. I don't know why or how I'm going to use it, but I just need it. Um, uh, for my force, I had uh, picked up some uh, Germans in uh, in winter, long winter coats, and I then just piled as much backpack equipment on their backs because i had bandits so i thought yeah they've just got old you know world war ii assault rifles and rifles rather than fancy modern stuff and they're just bandits that are going in and just grabbing what they can and loading up their backpacks with as much stuff as they can carry well i think that uh, it's if we're talking like sci-fi horror sort of genre crossover thing you know having world war ii guys running around is really common even in modern day i don't know if mm-hmm. you've, uh, any of our listeners have seen the movie the outpost that's probably about 10 years old now again that's a team of modern mercenaries investigate a weird bunker somewhere in undisclosed eastern european country find out they're being attacked by not zombies they're just people who have been shunted forward in time from a machine in 1945 just timey-wimey stuff let you use what you need spoilers <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, a dear, I've spoiled a film from 2006. Or <laughs> there will be one listener who had that lined up. They were just like on their way home. They put this podcast on in the car, and uh, they're like, "Right, I'll just listen to Tom and Andy chat about this, and then I'm going to get home and watch Outpost. It's going to be great. I can't wait to find out what about these zombies. I know nothing about these zombies or where they come from or anything about them. Oh no." So um, if you're going to write in, please do. Write on a £20 note and send it in to us with your thoughts. 
So I think straight off, I think so. It's it's a game that's set in a world that we were both pretty familiar with. Mm-hmm. We both knew what it was. We both knew the setting. Yeah. So it was something we could instantly like connect with. We because I've been, to play. yeah, I've been waiting two years. I picked this up just before. I think it was just before, wasn't it? Before the the before in the before time. It's called the before time. Um, and I've read Roadside Picnic in preparation. Great book. Um, and yeah, just, just just really looking forward to playing it. And so I had the models. So it was really good to actually get a game of this last night. And I'm very excited to play. Yeah, and I think I would describe this for people who play the Osprey Blue Book games. I would describe this as one of the more rules-heavy ones in that there are plenty of rules to go through. It's, it's not a one or two page rule set. Mm. There, there, there are multiple rules. And there it was is... a little more setup like of actually choosing. There were lots of options, <laughs> as I found out last night, when you're putting your force together, like you get to choose equipment and um, skills and what level they're going to be at. And so there was a little bit of like bookkeeping and, um, you know, form filling to be done before you can start the game. Yeah, I suppose it probably took us, what, to, to work out our starting rosters about an hour. Mm-hmm. But that was more because we were sort of flicking through right. So I'm giving them an assault rifle and I've got two equipment choices. Do they want the electric juice and a red dot or should I give them a med kit and hot load ammo? So I think probably I would imagine once you've played with it, the game more often, you know, right. The guys who run forward, they get the med kit and the go juice. The guys who sit back get a red dot and a battle rifle, that sort of a thing. Yeah, Tom, I completely agree. Because um, you just don't know when you're first. And this is, I think it's for a lot of games, you just don't know what skills. I think you, you would almost be better just to say, okay, ignore the skills for the first game and just play. And then you'd be like, ah, so it makes sense why you'd want to have that. And, I, and maybe I've just not played enough games, but um, some of the skills I had and some of the people just seem to be just better than others. But maybe I'm not playing it properly. It's only the first game. Well, I, I think I think there are. I think it's important to note that like the, the tables for skills and equipment are not huge. We're not talking GURPS levels mm-hmm. on skills and equipment. There's like probably half a dozen skills yeah and there are three equipment tables with half a dozen things on each and like when you're starting out you have access only to the first table so you you aren't picking over dozens of options i think my my takeaway from the skills from that first game would be i was like the passive skills sent much better than the like we never got to use a med kit because everyone just died. Yeah. Being like maybe a, a doctor's maybe not much use when everyone's already dead. A, much, a, a, coron- <laughs> a coroner would have been much more use than a medic. Yeah. Whereas the things like getting the plus one on your shooting attacks from the it steady just, hands. It was just, yeah, that was the best skill. Um, and, and again, I'm, I'm happy to admit that I've played one game and I haven't really tested out. And it was it was the, it was the easy mission. It wasn't the you know things popping up. So like I had binoculars as a piece of equipment. I gave my leader to help him look at hotspots and see like for um, 
perception rolls to see what treasure or monsters are in there. Well, there wasn't any of that because it was the first mission where you learn the rules. It's just it's just there for you. So yeah, there's yeah. definitely yeah, it could be different if we. I think a campaign's where this game's really going to start to shine. Yes, I think we played the first mission that is recommended in the back of the book as like the intro mission. It's a threat level white. So the setup we had was we're playing on a four by four with four buildings and a supposedly knocked out vehicle. Mm -hmm. Inside, there was two packs of feral dogs that were inside the buildings. We rolled for each of the four buildings to see which of them had the dogs and the vehicle had a pack. Bandits, is it? I think they were military. I think the military crew that had been in the APC were zombies milling around it. And the objective of the game really was to search the APC for what gear that you get. Mm -hmm. And everybody who searched the vehicle got a roll on the equipment table to basically see what Mm -hmm. they take to go into the future missions. I think we probably, to the fairness of the game, made a mistake in the amount of terrain we put down. Yeah. In that we put, for what would be a normal game, quite a lot of terrain down and realised at the end of it, we probably needed twice as much what we actually put down. More things like low walls, scattered terrain. Hedge it like things that were kind of obscuring because we had like it was very much uh all or nothing these blocks and buildings whoever were not in cover or in cover it was it, it was just yeah if you moved out to shoot someone then you were sort of in the open yeah though and maybe not enough there was we, we tried to not have too many sight lines but then yeah. when you, there was a sight line it was like oh from this angle everyone can see them are you thinking about me with my my light machine gun that got a couple of criticals and took out three men with with one shot but i think what would probably be like great scatter terrain for something like that would be uh, like cheap toy cars and things that just oh yeah burnt out yeah yeah and like especially something like a toy like a burnt out wrecked car mm-hmm. you know you could technically shoot through it yeah but it's going to be a minor, a, a, you know, you're going to be on a big penalty to hit something shooting through a car. I think if you've got uh, a game that's no longer be around for much longer, like Mantic's The Walking Dead, they had like a mat and terrain and like burnout cars and even some zombies. That would be a great starting place for this game, actually. Yes. Yeah, I think probably the, the aesthetic for the world, people aren't familiar with it, probably is quite similar to like Walking Dead, that like dilapidated. Yeah, because the zone has been cordoned off. You no know, people can go in there like ordinary people. It's scientists and the military that protect them, and then bandits and and some people who live in there because they don't want to leave their homes and they're kind of cultists and maybe mutated to greater or lesser degrees. Mm-hmm. So, shall we talk about the core mechanics? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um. What dice did we use? <laughs> I guess. What am I asking you? I was there. What dice did we use, Tom? I used a pink dice. It was very good. Uh, D10s and multiples of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I remember your first roll. You got really excited because you were a nine, a ten. You're like, yes, 
I'm really rocking and rolling with these dice. Fantastic. Um, and that's when we realized you need to roll low. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, the core mechanic really for shooting and combat is you roll under what is your combat modifier. Mm -hmm. like the leader has got the best combat modifier in the game of a six. So you're rolling under six and a D10. Now through skills and gear, you can bang that up to like maybe an eight. But then when you take into account cover, obscured and all that, it sort of takes it down. So it, it's that what I really like is that quite simple granular system of X and Y, you know, plus one for this, plus one for this, minus mm -hmm. one for that, minus one for this. Work out what you need to hit. Yeah. And with the D10, it allows you to have that sort of variance while sort of keeping it actually in sense. So you go, right, I've got a 20% chance to hit this, or I've got an 80% chance to hit this, rather than like a, a bolt action example of, you need the six followed by the six is yeah. just too big. Or the D20, you have the, the massive fluctuations. So really liked it. And like most of the time, if you're making a shooting attack, you're rolling multiple dice. Mm -hmm. So for example, like the LMG, which ruined my day, was rolling four dice at a time. The yeah. battle rifles, two. Like, snipers, uh, one. Snipers, one. Hurts when it hits you. And that's really how shooting and the core mechanics work. Skills, you're, we didn't use many skills apart from a search roll. You're rolling under the character's will level, which ranges from seven to five. Mm -hmm. So again, you, you'll probably, it's one of those games where even if you're good at something, you're not superhumanly fantastic at it. And so everything is a bit of a challenge. Mm -hmm. And you should never, I don't think, really take anything for granted that you're going to do it. Uh, you, when you are shot, your opponent does get an armor save. But they have to roll underneath what their armor save is, minus the damage of the weapon. Mm -hmm. So if you're being shot by a battle rifle and you're a civilian body armor, you're needing to roll a three or less. Like how that can is, is improved is... If you're in cover or obscured, those pips go towards your armor save. So you might be on a five mm -hmm. if you're lucky. So again, saves, it's possible to shrug things off. And I think we did both shrug some things on, like when one oh, yeah. of your characters climbed on top of a barricade to unload at my leader. And then they just both stood there shooting each other point blank for a couple of seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I would describe it probably as one of those games that sent relatively simple once we got our heads around it mm -hmm. but actually the way things interact and the way you work with terrain and the gear and that actually gives it quite a lot of complexity yeah and especially the game we played is incredibly unforgiving and brutal oh it was yeah it was brutal of a capital b is how it was, it was yeah it was harsh um i think there's definitely um some value to us playing it again um, it, it made me want to play more. Um, def definitely want to play more more games of. And I think a campaign is the way to go. Maybe some kind of storyline. I think most games are improved for campaign and storyline. If I'm honest, 
but this one seems more more aimed towards that. So I wouldn't mind playing a maybe a series of linked um, scenarios with the same crew and just play till they die or they get enough money to retire or whatever it might be. Um, as and just making the because we didn't have any mutants or anything. It was we had some zombies on the board, didn't we? And but. It, but we, we, we knew what was happening like there was yeah. nothing unexpected to happen and it was very much like the way things set up i spent two turns taking out the zombies because mm-hmm. i could see them and they were coming towards me then once they were dead i spent two you, turns taking your team out <laughs> yeah you so the way it just allowed you to then vaporize me so i was tabled um no i think it but i think what I really liked about it was even if we strip away all the like the world and like, oh, this is cool. We're playing Roadside Picnic or Stalker. It was still fundamentally a really fun skirmish game. Like, I, I think the mechanics of it of. Yeah, this is just a band of. Soldiers fighting other soldiers. Yeah, wasn't the, the, the mechanics of how they worked, worked really well. And, you know, I think. Yeah. You could say, oh, we're playing a city fight in anything from yeah. the the basic mechanics of the game were sound. Nothing felt like it was really broken in the system. Like nothing seemed to be like yeah. There's the extras we could get, and I think you know, um, like the Molotov cocktail, for example. I I threw a Molotov cocktail at some zombies, and it has a rule that if you're on fire, you keep you keep rolling. If you fail your wound, the saves to see if there's more damage. Well, all the zombies had just one wound, but you know if we'd encountered a large monster, a large mutant of some kind, then that could have been really good. And so I think there's going to be pieces of equipment that are going to come into their own, perhaps in different, you know, well, scenarios. In this case, do it within the game. Yeah, and especially as the, the game itself allows you to play some missions if you want to, you can almost play them collaboratively with your opponent, and yeah. you're actually fighting the environment and the monsters. Yeah, so you might get to a, a, a hot spot, roll, and then a large mutant just erupts out of the middle, and you're like, well, we're supposed to be fighting each other, but this large mutant means we now need to work together, or Godzilla's going to eat us all. Yeah, uh, it, it was a lot of fun. I, I think from only having played it this once, if I was to, pl- like, I definitely want to play more of it, because mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. I think one thing I might give a go at after I've played it more and got familiar with the game and how it works is to do a dice bag mechanic for when you activate your dudes. So rather, my entire gang goes, your entire roster goes. Yeah. Just use the good old bolt action dice bag of which or even dice to have, see who it goes. Have, have an initiative system because there are different like leader, veteran, hardened, rookie. I would even say you get to you have you have your leader i have my leader then veteran and then hard and then rookies or something along those lines you know yeah like just through the levels or something but that that's just purely down to the preference of not being a huge fan of any i go you go game yeah really i mean to, to give it my full my full review would be i liked it the the system seemed sound i like the world building it deserves more plays before I can give it a really true full review, is what I'd say. I think the the one game we played made me go, yes, this works, and I would play. Because I've, I've played some other games and gone, 
you know, I don't really need to play this anymore. <laughs> I've played one game and that has sated me for this game for probably forever. So, um, yeah, I think I think it's a winner, Tom. I think also it's worth noting that we both went down with full gangs and complete beasteries for the entire game. So no matter no what mission we played, mm-hmm. we would have enough monsters or griblies for everything. And we each in our bags had a complete set so we could have played yeah. two games with it. So it, you, you do not need a yeah. million monsters for it all. I bought, I was a bit creative with what I went for for some of the monsters when I, it was one of my salute purchases. But I think I, it cost me less than 20 pounds mm-hmm. for like what counts as my like feral dogs and rats and vermin swarms and zombies and mutants and stuff. It, you, know, you can use what's in your collection. Yeah, I mean, that's it. It's down to you. Whatever you like. You know, does a feral dog have to be a dog? Can it be a giant rat? Can it be a crow? Rats as big as cats. Do they have to be zombies or can they be giant snails? Which is (laughs) more terrifying. Definitely the snail. Remember, keep your orange on the stick. Oh, are we talking about the giant poisonous French snail that lives in this underneath in the underground underground? So, do you have anything else to add about Zone Alpha before we move on to our second game? The giant French snail monster is called Lou Cacol and is described as a large, slimy sail, snail-like serpent with hairy tentacles. There you are. So look out for those ones, kids, in your Zone Alpha games. Um, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, Tom. I'm sorry, <laughs> I've lost myself. It's, it's, it's after effects of the orb. The orb, <laughs> the orb. Um, yeah, no, it's it was a fun game. Would it be my main game? I'm not sure. Will it be a fun game to play for 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 now? Just do a few games of it. Oh, for sure. And I think it's the kind of game where if you've got anything from World War Two on, you can just grab them. I mean, even with a bit of imagination, you know. You could probably play other games, use other models, science fiction models, or you know, I mean, hey, you're all imaginative people out there. You can all do imaginative things if you want to. I think it's a game that is the perfect opportunity for a weird little modeling project. Yeah. If you if you want to, do, oh, I want to do a Star Trek away team. I want to just think that you can fit them in for this. You need half a dozen dudes. Yeah. And you go well. The phasers are assault rifles. The phaser rifles are battle rifle. Away you go, mm-hmm. and they just fit in i mean i've got zombie stormtroopers upstairs in the box we could you could make you know you can yeah. use those hi it's tom and andy here and we have a request from you please guys if you can please 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 go and give us a five star review on itunes Really going to help us get out there, help us get recognised from other people. I hope you're finding the group, um, helps support you in your hobby. And we really want to help other people get that support too. And the best way to do that is a five-star review. Why five-star? Because apparently iTunes considers anything less than five-star, four-star or lower, a negative review. Who would have thought? I would be happier for, but we need to get five-star reviews for iTunes. So please, if you can go on uh, and give us a five-star review, that'd be great. And something else you could do is come and join us on the Facebook group. That's the really the best way for us to communicate with you, the hobby support group out there. See your work, comment, 
help and most importantly support you grow and develop in your hobby thanks guys happy hobbying a couple of weeks ago while andy was belurgid i had the opportunity to play poseidon's warriors with sam which was a great fun game which was another osprey book and this one i are we sponsored by osprey tom if you would if like you're to listening sponsor Osprey, Osprey and you'd like to sponsor us, send us books. Send us books, yeah. So this, I think I chatted about this in Hobby Progress a while ago in that I bought the book because I, I saw somebody playing some Tyreme naval combat and I thought, that looks quite fun. So, and I'd heard a few people recommend this game, so I picked it up. Oh, that looks quite fun. Then realised how expensive, a, like so 20 or 30, one twelve hundred trireens mm. and quadmarines and quimmarines and imagine all that is. then thanks to meeples and miniatures i discovered that tiny tin troops do card 11200 ships for two pounds a fleet so purchase two fleets glued them to some foam core board cut them out and away i went grandiose total for the miniatures five pounds the rules cost me eight pounds oh pricey there we go the both fleets live in a small tupperware takeaway container so really nice and transportive and easy to play now this was the first naval game i've ever played so you know not an expert naval game player in any regards at all now, as I said earlier with the Zone Alpha about it being an Osprey book, which is the rule book, which has got plenty of rules in it, Poseidon's Warriors doesn't have a huge amount of rules in it. I made a quick reference sheet which had like the fleets and the important rules on, and I realised I'd pretty much got the entire rules on a sheet of A4. They are quite simple and not very hard to get your head around Mm -hmm. however there is quite a lot of thinking in that maneuvering and bizarrely for a naval game terrain is incredibly important because i suppose the important thing is you're playing it it's supposed to be really the whole ancient period from sort of heroic era greece until mid to late imperial rome it's really heroic era greece and peloponnesian wars so you're supposed to be fighting really in and around harbors islands island coasts and that's what i think you know there are very very few chances that you're going to be fighting sort in open blue water and so actually keeping your forces together facing the right way while they're maneuvering around sandbanks and rocks and that sort of thing actually does sort of have a massive impact on breaking up your battle line yeah because i don't really think about terrain very much on the naval battle apart from who oh, was a particularly sharp pointy wave heading your <laughs> way this is like a, a sooner a tidal wave coming at you i don't really see it as like we played them a lot of the missions are things like player A is breaking out of a harbour or like player B is like trying to break into the harbour. 
and so we played the mission where you have uh, you set each you split the table into four and you roll for what terrain is in each corner Mm -hmm. so we had like a beach uh, some rocks an island some sandbanks and all this sort of thing and basically sounds like you just need a few few cocktails and off you go like basically now the, the problem i had with it is that you have a huge choice of ship types basic mm-hmm. ship you, you've probably got at least over 12 ship types and they're all pointed differently and they all increase in points and they all have slightly different stats and yet they all function fundamentally the same because things are quite simple you get rammed your opponent rolls the ram if they hit most ships don't get a save they just right. lose a whole point. Most ships only have one whole point. Hmm. And so we found it quite strange in that the tiny little galleys, oh, sorry, the, the smallest triremes, which are about, I don't have the rule book in front of me because I am finally moving. And so it's, it's up. So I think like the, the cheapest ship that can ram is about 30 points. And if yeah. that ram, but that can ram and sink like a 50 or 60 point ship without the, the more expensive ship even getting a save. And the most expensive ship in the game only has four hull points and a four up save. So, you know, swarms of little ships actually will sink the bigger ships. So I, I think it's it's one of those games that I think probably if you're playing it in a competitive mindset of how do I min-max this, you quite easily break it, I think, by having swarms of the smaller ships. However, I do think there is potential there for playing themed lists or playing the historic battles which are in the back of the book. Now, we played it with the recommended five to seven squadrons yeah and like squadrons range from five of the tiny little galleys up to single ships for the biggest 60s i think uh so we had probably about 30 ships on each side after we'd finished playing the game we both agreed that at the scale we were playing it would be much better to maybe have like 100 ships on each side and because the rules are relatively light and simple and very quick paced and it is incredibly brutal, you would get through if you had 20 squadrons, you would still get a game in in a couple of hours because they're going to die. They're going to sink. They're going to be wrecked. Away you go. So we think maybe playing it either on a, a bigger scale, like a larger scale with the number of miniatures that the rule book actually yeah. says, or alternatively, playing it with bigger miniatures and being more finicky about the exact angles that you're hitting on because if you're mm-hmm. when you're playing with a miniature that is you know 10 mils long and five or six mils wide you have to have, be, have a little bit of wiggle room for like what is the 45 degree front arc of that miniature <laughs> yeah whereas if you're maybe playing with it like a 40 by 20 base 
like a 40 by 20 size small yeah. ship you could probably be much more precise with that and go well actually you're just going to glance it rather than ram it yeah but again it's, it's a game that i played i'm glad i played it if somebody said in the future do you want to play it i'll gladly play it it's not a game i'm going to run out and go oh i'm ditching the cardboard card co- co- it's not one of those games where I'm going, oh, I'm ditching the cardboard tokens and investing in beautiful metal triremes. But I think for what's basically now like a little board game, it, it's fun. I would recommend you give it a go if you're naval game curious and you want to, you know, put just over a tenner into a game that is playable. And I imagine it will probably, if you played a couple of games of it, you might end up homebrewing a few bits and pieces. Oh, and for sure. Yeah, I think that would directly improve it. I wish. It feels to me, and I, I think Sam also had this point, it, it somehow feels like at one point it was a longer, more complicated game that had stuff taken out. Mm. And it, it so it sort of feels like a little bit weird in that there's a whole section that talks about artillery but none of the ships say that they come with artillery. That is weird. And there are like named characters and like named admirals for the like heroic and Peloponnesian Greeks, but for no one else to the point that even in the book itself, it makes the joke that when I was coming up with like famous admirals, I could only think of ones for the Greeks. So the Romans and the Carthaginians and the Persians don't get one. So I think like you should maybe have like, you know, Pompey's son and the pirates and Agrippa Mm -hmm. and that should maybe have, you know, it's not like there was never any decent generals after the Peloponnesian War. Well, you can even do it like here's just say these are examples. Transpose, use them in any fleet. Here's the, the these are the named ones, but just yeah. use them it, it, in other fleets. Here's a metric to build your own. Yeah. So if you want to build like a Odysseus, how do you do it? Right. This is yeah. how you point it out to build your animal. Yeah. So, but I th- again, I think it's that sort of thing where you can add that level of flavor and spice to yourself by just altering it a little bit. And because the buy-in is so cheap, you can do. You know, like if many you wanted to play, it's it's what. It would be a fiver each for what the payment, how much it costs for us to play. So it, it gets a thumbs up from me with the cat, the cat, that caveat. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, if it's just a one off game you're going to play, sometimes it's OK for a game to be. It doesn't have to be balanced or, you know, if you're just going to play it and you enjoy if you play it and you enjoy it, but it's not balanced, that is still fine. It sounds like you're not going to be running a tournament of it anytime soon, or or are you, Tom? Well, I think something else that actually Sam pointed out that is like maybe important to talk about, like have member remember about this period of time is we're talking about ships which are basically made out of balsa wood and hope, and you know you look at them funny they sink, and so you know they never leave sight of land because they'll sink. They have to be taken out of water every day because they sink. Yeah. You know, you throw a rock up that might go straight through them and they sink. And so it is. There isn't maybe. That level of. There's no real attrition. 
that you probably expect in other naval games. I think like I, I've never really played any naval games, but mm-hmm. like my familiarity with naval combat really is from the like Age of Sail era where it's like the ships don't really sink, it's the crew that sort of Or you pick up like minor minor disadvantage like the uh, penalty to turn left and you're slower or something or you know yeah the ring is on fire or you know something that's going to give you a a negative and cumulatively build up to make it less and less good at fighting until such time as it just stops fighting yeah whereas we sort of realize that actually at this period the ships really are the weakest link and you know they are you know you shout at them they fall over and sink do you think you could use it to build onto sort of a classical game of some kind? So if you were playing uh, the uh, Carthaginians against the Romans, do you think it would be worthwhile you know, doing some land battles with uh, Hail Caesar, but maybe doing the odd naval battle? I think you could definitely do something like that. I think you could definitely do, or if you do something like the expedition to Syracuse or something, or you wanted to do, you know, like a harbour game and you go, well, how does something, we're playing this land-based campaign, but some reinforcements are coming, or does this outflanking work? Does that work? I think that would definitely add work for that. And I think it's simple enough in that you can both play it and you've never played the game before. You both know what you're going to be doing in 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And the ship's, you know, I had to when we decided what the, I printed out some little nameplates for the ships because I am no expert at all. But I'm afraid I cannot tell what is a Quim Marine and a Quim Marine. You know, boom. What? Well, I, I'm embarrassed for you, Tom, because I know it's, all our listeners do. Yeah, like the one with two Quims in it. How you pronounce it is up to your choice. But <laughs> <laughs> this is a family show, Tom. Yeah. Ancient Greek is not my. I've got to get Ricky on. I know he's doing he's doing Greek and Latin at the minute, so we'll get we will get Ricky on at some point to read a list of naval ships. Is that going to be a special bonus episode for our Patreons? That that can be an episode fifty Easter egg. Or we could get him to read the, the list of Panzer threes in Greek. Ooh. <laughs> Let us know on the Facebook page which you'd rather not listen to. We'll see what they get for Christmas Eve this year. Oh yes, Tom's best. Uh, uh, <laughs> Tom's best Patrick Stewart impersonation, reading off Panzer tanks. <laughs> that's what I want. Nah, can he do? So that's Poseidon's Warriors. So shall we move on to what was probably the most popular game that I've seen new game played for a while? Last oh, night. there was a lot of there was a lot of hype and there was a lot of talk going down last night at the club tom a lot of sound effects as well oh 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 say that you old uh you big galah so we are of course talking about the surprising hit that is emu wars Not came out of nowhere absolutely was an april fool's joke and he parted with his hard-earned money for it actually yes. exists actually so yeah so um 2D6 Wargaming put up uh, an advert saying they were going to be selling um, Emu Wars and it happened to coincide with uh, April Fools and I thought this is probably a joke but you know what the heck and I, I, I put my money down and I fully expected 
I'd something to come through the post saying, you know, thanks for joining in the joke. Uh, there is no Emu Wars game. Here's a voucher or and a, and a card for Emu Wars or something. Well, I, I thought it was a joke right into the point that the uh, the package arrived on my doorstep containing all the tiny emus and two machine gun teams. So, uh, Tom, what is what what is the emu wars? What were the emu wars? I should say. The emu war is one of those brilliant things that has to have happened in real life because it's too weird to have been made up in fiction. It is early 20th century Australia, forget the exact dates. There was 1932. 1932, it's later than I thought it was. There was an explosion of the emu population in Australia. The Australian government drafted in the army to cull the emus and the army lost. They suffered quite a lot of casualties. It turns out they're giving a load of of young men a load of beer and guns and sending them into the outback um, isn't necessarily the best idea. Yes. So by purely military standards, the emus actually won because Mm. the army called off the operation was because they were losing too many men to misadventure. Misadventure. There's darn, darn emus are just too tough. So what you get in the packet is a load of emus, um, a couple of machine guns, and I have to say some very tight rules writing. Wouldn't you? I'd describe it as like very tight, wouldn't you, Tom? I I think almost overwritten and extensively play tested, and you know that. <laughs> the, the, and I think you know exactly what you're getting in when you you read it and you you read the list of playtesters and you go, we know what we're getting into now. Yeah, it does list it. Thanks all the playtesters and name and names every single one of the playtesters on the sheet. Yes, all of <laughs> all of them. Um, very very basic rules. You roll two dice. If you get a double. You split the group of um, emus in half. Um, if you don't, you don't hit them. If you get a double one, that machine gun is jammed, is, a remove, is removed. And then the emus, after you fired, will move randomly. Each clamp moves randomly around the board. If they go off the board, then the uh, the emus are safe. If you can split them down to get just one base and then get a double on that one base, you managed to kill that base of emu the best score that was achieved all night was by neil hi neil who managed to actually kill a single base of emu that's quite impressive seeming though how many bases of emus do you start with um i have 15 bases so i, I i'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think this is a game that is probably statistically impossible. <laughs> yeah, I would describe it as impossible for the Australian Army to win this game without some incredible dice rolling. Um, but that's but that's not the point. That's not. It's, it's not. That is winning. not the point. It's not the winning. It's you go in knowing that you are not going to win. But what you what we are going to try and do now is score better than Neil. And kill maybe two bases. Can you imagine if you kill two bases off? Wow. 
that's the stuff of legends. And we were having just a great time rolling that and people were laughing and we were watching and no one expected anyone to do well. And it was just a really, really good laugh when lots of us were playing. Got to the point where we're all just we all just sat around the table watching Emu Wars being played. <laughs> Cheering the dice rolls. And it's amazing how common double one comes up. Quite yes. often the game would finish with just both guns jamming, that was it. Rather than all the emus getting off the board. Well, I think this is like I didn't play it, I observed it being played. I think it's one of those great examples of how a game doesn't have to be technically good to be great fun. Yeah. And how if the mechanics work for what you're doing, it is fun. And how as you know, it was great fun. We had some like uh, Christina played it who isn't i don't think a traditional gamer I yeah think she, she, she was down for the club and she had to go she had a great fun i think it, it and again similar maybe to like poseidon's world it's that sort of thing that you know it lives in a tiny box yeah but you, you were playing on like a pub table yeah and you're just having a laugh with it, it could probably fit in a, a large like kitchen matchbox with with yeah. the rules as well which come on a, a single sheet of paper was a five single sided a five single sided piece of paper Large which actually recommended having uh, a tinny as the australians i believe call it while you're playing to increase the level of fun uh, but i think it did help that some of the some of the players had had a couple of um uh, sherbets <laughs> indeed um but you didn't need to it's just it's just don't take it seriously roll the dice have a laugh and just like watch what happens it's like my emus are run all over the place like they'd run off run up to the edge of the table and then run right back again like oh my god come on just get off the table also though it's it's a great example of how you can do these crazy things in six mil and yeah you know you can have 60 70 emus running around on the table and machine gun teams dead easily and it, it works doesn't take up a load of room yeah because i'm actually going to redo this in 72 mil Tom. looking forward to it <laughs> so you can really check out to... all that further detail yeah really it's just i get the there's glaring orange eyes <laughs> i'm going to model on the tiny helmets and rifles on the emu well you can then bring in like the air strikes and stuff so you can have them being yeah you know buzzed and stuff and then clogging up rotors and things and i mean i'm not gonna I'm not going to run a tournament of this. This is just something you grab from your bag and you just play. It's like, I've got him, you just play, let's go, boom, boom, boom. And you chat and you roll dice. And it doesn't really matter who wins because you both win because you just have a laugh and have fun. That's that I, I, I would think if you're actually away for like a, at an event, it's probably a brilliant game to actually chuck in your bag to like play that night before yeah. the event or like when you're in the hotel or you're in the pub. You don't have to think, like if we've spoken before about accidentally ordering the super strength cider, because like, oh, that looks like a locally brewed cider at the pub the night before the tournament. I'll have a pint of that. I'm like, why am I, why am I smashed up for a pint and a half? It's the cider. Um, yeah, I could, I could still have played this game. Yeah. <laughs> Even with the super strength cider. Um, yeah, it, it, um, I have Son's regrets. Great purchase. 
paint, super easy to paint up, and it's there forever, you know. No, uh, it, it it did make me for thinking what an idiot when you told me that you'd actually spent hard-earned monies on emu wars to actually seeing it wasn't a little bit jealous i was like oh <laughs> i want emu wars <laughs> oh, i just saw you sadly trudging away home you had to leave early so you're sadly trudging away like bruce banner at the end of um the incredible hulk with the music playing as you looked jealously over your shoulder <laughs> at everyone else in the club laughing and cheering the best bit is there was some adeptus i think you weren't there for this was adeptus titanicus was being played and every time a Titan is killed, what do they cheer? What do they shout, Tom? They go, engine kill. Exactly. <laughs> We're hearing that all night. And then finally, Neil managed to kill off a base of emus. And we cheered, emu kill. <laughs> if you're cheering emu kill, a group of 10 of you <laughs> shouting emu kill, <laughs> something's gone very right in your life or, or yeah. horribly wrong. One or two. No actual emus were hurt during the evening. No, no actual emus. Yeah, so hopefully, listeners, you've enjoyed these three game reviews of our in-depth analysis. Well, I was just going to say that we also picked up. I picked up last night from from Ben a copy of um, that Warmaster book, Warmaster Revolution, mm. which so I am. Um, I don't think it's a shock to listeners to know that. I like Warmaster. I think mm-hmm. it's a great game. And to be honest, most of the games that we play are basically Warmaster in fancier clothes or yeah. reskinned. And so Warmaster Revolution, for people who don't know, is the living rulebook version of Warmaster that the online community have sort of like carried on peer reviewing and adapting year in, year out from sort of the moment pretty much GW abandoned the game to today, mm-hmm. it's still, you know, they brought out more army lists. Those army lists have been peer reviewed. They get balanced, they get adapted, they get changed. And it just seems the best version of Warmaster yeah. that there is. And Warmaster itself, it, it's such a good game. And, you know, who doesn't like playing fantasy battles, really? And a 10 mil is achievable. And I recommend listeners just have a Google on, like, Warmaster armies and that sort of thing. And the minis, that we're going to probably do an episode on it at some point in the future of, of sort of, like, how the hobby is changing and how things are, you know, I think Andy last week said you know how sort of like 3d printing is unimaginable to how we think now you look at how yeah. warm you look at the warmaster armies available now and so many of them are stls that you buy and print at home and i mean it's because the warm the original warmaster figures are you know beyond my price yeah you know it's it would be cheaper to buy them in 28 mil almost than it would be to go and buy it, the original warmaster cheap. models but also that so many of the ones out there, they aren't just mere proxies or ripoffs. They're actually fantastically sculpted models. Mm-hmm. And with well, even original Warmaster had armies in it that you could use historical minis for. The Warmaster Revolution army lists have things like Arby, Albion, Kislev, 
where you just use, you know, 16th century poles, you know, middle-aged Arabs. Middle-aged Arabs? Oh, yeah, middle ages. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, so I want an I want an army of middle aged Arabs now. <laughs> but you think, oh, I'd quite like a sort of like a Crusader era force, but I don't really want to play the Crusades. Mm-hmm. Oh, we go. You know, I've mentioned how previously I really would like to do some Winged Tazars and Golden Horn. Mm-hmm. There's an army list that has both Winged Tazars and Horse Archers. Well, I have I have four armies in ten mil, based up in the same style as as Warmaster. Well, the Warmaster Ancients. So I've got my Celts and my Romans all already based up. Just recently did those auxilia. Um, I've got my Warmaster Undead, and I've got my English Civil War, and they're all based in such a way that I can use them all in Warmaster. Yeah, so I've got Warmaster. clearly I need clearly I need to buy another one. I've got Warmaster Dwarves and Vikings, I think, in 10 mil. So we are thinking possibly, we are putting our feelers out there to see that the interest of maybe doing some sort of Warmaster event thing Mm -hmm. near the end of the year. You know, we have looming on the horizon at the moment, we've got the 28 mil Napoleonics. So some wee tiny figures far off in the distance behind them. <laughs> maybe and I I've undercoated some <laughs> Portuguese I've spent the last two weeks building French line infantry and realizing this is a lot of build time compared to how this I wonder how long this is going to take to paint <laughs> and so Jeez, I know you spend an entire afternoon like cleaning mold lines off backpacks oh what you do Tom do really quickly what you do is don't clean, don't clean the mold lines <laughs> off. Just, just really put the paint on thick. It doesn't show through. Uh, thin, multiple thin coats. Well, exactly. thank you very much for joining us this evening, Andy. And we will record again soon. Speak yep. to you soon, listeners. Thanks, everyone. Take care. <laughs>